The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Good morning. Today we're going to be reading from Psalm 130. And it's on the screen or if you want to pull it up on your phone or your Bible um, and read along. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the world for the Lord, more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have to be together um, as a church, and um, thank you for this time to hear from your word and hear what you have in store for us, Lord, and the encouragement that you offer for us in your word. Um, Waiting for you can be wearisome and exhausting, Lord, but we're so thankful that you give us the encouragement we need day by day and that um, you shower us with blessings as we go along. Please bless Randall today as he delivers this message and help our minds to stay present and attentive and hear what good news you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Victoria. All right, so uh, if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to turn to Psalm uh, 130. And this is the last in our prayer series. And so for the past month, we've been talking about prayer. Uh, The first week, we talked about praying our doubts. The next week after that, we talked about praying our fears and anxieties. And uh, this past week, we talked about praying our tears. And so today, we're talking about praying our, our guilt. Praying our guilt. Um, You know, prayer, uh, just as we've been walking through this series, I I have found more and more to be a helpful tool in life that many times I kind of pass and and put to the side. And, you know, God gave us prayer as a tool to make it through life. And many of us on a daily basis, me included, walk out into the world really unprepared for what we're going to face in life. And so prayer is something that is given to us as a relationship, right? God himself in relationship with us. He offers it not just one time, not just twice, but all the time. And so prayer is this opportunity to come to him. But what I'm finding is, as I've been preaching through this, as I've been even thinking about it myself, is I walk into the world a lot of the times unprepared, right? But God gives us this tool of prayer, and so I think what the, the reason for that is we live in a world right now that is very self-dependent, self-reliant, right? As modern people, uh, we live a life that says, I can do it. I've got this. See, and the, the thing about prayer is, and I think this is why we have so much trouble with it, is we, we, we don't want to let go of, I can, I'm going to do it. We want to hold on to that instead of saying, I can't, and I need God. And so today we're talking about this guilt and shame. And um, when we're talking about guilt and shame, I think this is one of the things that we do, just like we do with prayer, we just kind of push it off to the side. We minimize it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. We ignore it. 
But if we're honest, many of us would say that we've had times where overwhelming amounts of guilt and shame has come over our lives and we don't know why. At times it paralyzes us. And so what do we do with those times of guilt and shame where it just gets so heavy that we don't know what to do that next day? God invites us to bring it to him. Prayer. How do we deal with the particular problem of guilt and shame in our lives? Uh, A lady named Brene Brown, uh, who's a researcher at the University of Houston, uh, I was listening to a TED talk that she gave, and she gave this talk particularly in 2010 on vulnerability. And what she said is that as she did her research and her studies, that many people had so many walls and barriers that they didn't know what to do with their guilt and shame, and so they just hit it, held on to it. And she said it's a huge problem right now. And says, she says, we try to numb our guilt and shame. And, and here's the quote that she says. We are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, medicated adult co- cohort in U.S. history. <clears throat> and as she's talking about guilt and shame, she says, guilt and shame is the swampland of the soul. See, when we come to the Psalms, it's very honest, it's very real, not hiding anything. And so what we're going to find today that in Psalm chapter 130, um, you're going to find somebody who feels like they're in the swampland of the soul. Brene Brown says that the difference between guilt and shame is this. She says, guilt is, I'm sorry I made a mistake, but shame is, I'm sorry I am a mistake. Have you ever felt that before? You felt that time where it just got so heavy that you thought, does my life even matter? See, that's what we're finding here in Psalm 130 today. And like she says, many of us, we try to find our own solutions. We try to numb the pain in some way or another. But it never works out. See, when you ask her, what, what, what's the answer, Brene? What, how, how does she end the talk? Here's what she says. She says, we live in a vulnerable world, so we must fully embrace vulnerability. And that was the end. And everybody gives her a, a standing ovation clap, and I read some of the comments about this talk afterwards, and it said, best talk I've ever heard but my question at the end of that talk as she says embrace vulnerability because we live in a vulnerable world I feel like I already knew that right and don't don't you already know that too I know I need to be a little bit more vulnerable than I am I need to own some of the guilt and shame that I have in my life and I need to be open about that How does that work? How does that solve the issue? Am I just vulnerable and then that's it? I remember when I first got into ministry and I went to this conference and I met probably, oh man, he's probably the richest guy I've ever met in my life. 
Um, he was a, a guy that, that was on the, the Chicago Stock Exchange, people interviewing him all the time. And, and really, it was kind of a fluke that I even met him because it was through somebody that went to the church that I worked for at the time. They got us connected. And so I'm, I'm hanging out with him for a week. He's hanging out with a group of pastors. He's not a Christian. And I remember that week, he was probably one of the most honest, vulnerable people I've ever met. I mean, just real. You know, he's just sharing everything about his life, all his mistakes, all of that. And he had all this stuff. Like, he, he had huge house. I mean, everything you could dream up, you, you would, you know, think this is the American dream. This is what I would want. But I remember we were driving home from the conference towards the end of it. And again, he's just sharing all of these things. He's extremely vulnerable, just getting it all out there. And he's sharing honestly and saying, I need to fully embrace vulnerability. And he's sharing all his mistakes with a bunch of pastors in this car. We're all sitting there listening. And the thing that I found was he didn't want God. He wanted vulnerability. He didn't want to pray any of this. He just wanted to talk about it. When we left, I just felt so sad because it just felt like he was stuck. He was still in that same place. See, he was vulnerable, but he still felt guilty. Guilt, shame. See, as we talked the, the past few weeks about our emotions, we find that our emotions are not something to stuff, right, because some of us want to stuff it, and, and let's be honest, many of us who've grown up in church, or uh, for me, I didn't grow up in the church, but even just coming into the church, I thought, well, I got to be a good person, I got to be a good guy, and so I can't really be honest about some of the emotions that I'm feeling. I remember one time, like, my wife, um, when we were dating, I remember one day, I just told her, I was like, She's like, how's your day? How's things going? And usually I'm like pretty like happy. Like, hey, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I just, I don't know. I just don't feel like smiling today. And she was like, what? What's going on? Is everything okay with you? You know, and, and I was like, yeah, I just, I just don't feel like smiling today. I just don't feel like it's a happy time for me right now. And I really couldn't explain it. But you know, that, that's, that's why many of us stuff. We stuff it deep down inside because we think, well, if I, if I get it out there and I'm supposed to be a good person, if I'm supposed to be a good Christian or whatever, if I am honest about how I'm feeling, then people are going to be shocked. And here's what they do. You're not supposed to feel that way. You shouldn't feel it. You're, you're a Christian. Come on. You, you shouldn't feel like that. And so we just stuff and we stuff and we hide and we build walls. But again, in the Psalms, that's not how it works. In Scripture, that's not how it works. See, we, we get this very religious mindset. If, if I stuff and if I'm a good person, then God, he might love me more, right? Or other people will love me more. But we find in the gospel is that God loves us not because our emotions are all in check and they're where they need to be, but he loves us because he chose to love us. Not based on our good works, but based on his, for us. So for those of us who stuff, 
It's an invitation to bring your emotions to God. See, the other one is, well, we spread them, we spread them, we get them out there, and we say, hey, this is what I'm feeling, right? Much like my friend Alan. We get the word out, but it just doesn't help. And usually what happens is it will cause a lot of hurt, pain, damage when we get it out there. Because most of the time it's not just us that's going through it, but maybe it's we're going through it with somebody else, and maybe we're not feeling so good about that person at that particular moment, and we start to say things that are very hurtful, they cause a lot of damage. And so we can spread them, right? We can get them out there, Facebook, social media, whatever it is, and we can say, this is how I'm feeling right now, but causes a lot of hurt and pain. See, in the Psalms, what it says is to pray your emotions, to pray your feelings. Why? Because you and I can pour out and process our emotions before God and know that he's not going to, you shouldn't feel that way when we say it, when we bring it to him. And you know the thing is, he won't gossip them either. God's not going to start some drama in your life because if you told that one friend who you know is going to tell somebody else, but yet it was, they were right in front of you, and you know that there's going to be drama that started, God is not like that. You see, we can speak openly and honest to God, and he loves us through it. That's really the gospel. That's really the good news, because you can give your emotions and your feelings and your guilt and your shame to God and wait for the verdict. Okay, God, how's this going to work out? See, that's what, that's what we've been talking about through this series. We should pray our emotions. And so today, Psalm 130, um, what do these verses in particular tell us about praying our guilt? If you were to look through the, the passage today, you would say, well, I don't see the word guilt in there. But what you're gonna find is that as you dig a little bit deeper, you're gonna see it all through this text. You're gonna see a, a person who is feeling the heavy weight of guilt and shame in their lives and how they respond to it in this text. Now, in the Psalms, there are particular Psalms that we know who wrote them, and in this particular Psalm, we don't know who wrote this Psalm. But what we know is that um, out of the 150 different Psalms that are written, 148 of them are all prayers. And this one in particular is a prayer from a person who is in desperate need of God. And so what do we learn from these verses today about praying our guilt? It tells us three things. And so I'm going to give you all three up front. The first one is this, the depths. Second is the lifeline. The third point is the way out. The depths, the lifeline, the way out. And so the first one is the depths. And let's look at verses one through three. Uh, We see it in, in verse one starting there. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. The writer here uh, feels like he is sinking deeper and deeper into darkness. He's feeling this weight. He's feeling this heaviness. And if you were to imagine it, it's like somebody who's sinking deep into the depths of the ocean. They've got a huge boulder tied around their ankle. Just feels like he can't get up. And the writer here is 
floundering and in terror of what's going to happen next. He's afraid. He feels this deep alienation from God. I just want to stop there for a minute. Like some of us, we think, well, I've been a Christian for years. How could I feel an alienation from God? How can I feel like God's not there? How can I feel these things? What we're finding is that there's somebody who wrote scripture who felt those emotions. Right? There's permission to say there are times where I feel like, God, I don't know if you're there or not. I, I don't feel you. I don't, I don't know if you're there. And I feel like I am sinking deeper and deeper into darkness. See, it's okay to have those types of prayers, that type of honesty. On this passage, uh, commentator Derek Kidner says, what is clear in all such passages is that self-help is no answer to the depths of distress. However useful, it may be in the shallows of self-pity. Right, there, there isn't some like technique or there isn't some type of 10-step program that we can get this guy on that's really going to get him out of this. Now, that is nothing against counseling or any of those things, and we need that. I myself have been to counseling, okay? And so I'm saying there's permission in that, but if we are seeking something outside of God, that's not going to be the answer. See, there is somebody here who is sinking deeply into a depression so deep that said these, these self-help methods are not going to be the answer for him. Why is he sinking? Guilt and shame. You say, well, how do you know? Look at verse two. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive, attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. We find that the writer here is asking God for Mercy. God, can you please have some mercy on me? Why would he ask for mercy? Because he's done something wrong. He knows he's done wrong in God's sight. And so he's feeling heavy levels of guilt and shame through his life. And then we get to verse three. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Right, and so he's, he's talking here about the weight of judgment. When we're talking about the term guilt, even shame, right, aren't these types of terms that are used in the judicial system? Isn't this the type of language that when you're standing before a judge, you're feeling this heaviness and this weight? That's what he's feeling here. He's standing before a holy God. He's standing before the judge and he's saying, God, I, I need your mercy. I need your help. I'm struggling here. I'm sinking deep into this. Help me. Verse three in, in the NIV translation says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins. Uh, Another translation, if you were to look at the, the Hebrew text, it, it would really translate into if you watch sins. Right, so what we're talking about here is not that everybody sees what I've done, but he's 
talking to God in a way like David did in the Psalms where he's looking at God and saying, God, it is you and you alone that I have sinned against. Right? There's something between him and God that he knows that God sees everything. He sees it all. And that as he stands before him, he says, there's no one that could stand. Because when he says, kept record of sins, what he's saying is, God has given us a standard for life. As much as we want to push back and say, there is no standard for life, and really, we, we, we just kind of figure it out ourselves, or this mindset that we all make up our own truth, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. What we know is that from Scripture, and what we find in God is that we stand before a God that says, no, there is a standard. I have given it to you. Why would God give us this type of standard? Because he hates sin that much. Not just that we sin, but the cause and the effects of sin. He sees the hurts and the pains that it causes. And so as a loving God, as a holy God, he's saying, I'm calling you to a different life. I'm giving you a different standard. This is my standard. And I know you might not agree with it, but it's for your good. See, as, as San Diegans, many of us would, would think, no one should ever make me feel guilty about anything, right? And really, I, it's, it's, it's just rampant in, in our culture. Like, hey, you can't make me feel guilty about that. There's no standard for life. But what we find in the truth of Scripture is that, yes, there is a standard. Just like any good parent would give their kids a standard to live to, right? I mean, we see it. You know, there are times when we, we go to the mall or places and we see kids that have no standard of life. We say, man, that's, that's very unloving that you, the, the parents would not give their kids a standard to live by to help them out, right? And so we see the same thing in Scripture, that there is a God who loves us and who gives us a standard for life. See, Romans 1, 18 through 20 tells us, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, right? There is a truth, so we wanna like, ah, I don't know about that. I don't know if there really is one. It says God does that so much that at the end of verse 20 he says, so they are without excuse. Without excuse, when we stand before God, we're not going to be like, God, well, you didn't get the evidence on this one. Or you didn't see this one. Here's my side of the story. So what we find in Scripture is that when, and there is no excuse before God, right? He is a, he's a holy God, but he's always right on his judgments. I've used this analogy before, but many of us, if we were to say, hey, would, would any of us want to um, watch our last week just the things that we thought, the things that we did this past week, and we'll put it all on the screen and everybody can watch it, right? We'll have a big movie premiere of our life this past week. A life and, you know, a day in the life of Randall, a week in the life of Randall. Like, I would not be the first one to say, yeah, look at me, great? Like, watch, watch my life. Watch all the things I've done. Watch all the things I've said. Like, we wouldn't do that, right? And so we know that there is a standard and that we are ultimately accountable to God. 
See, in the book of Judges, I, I did this study in the book of Judges. I don't know, it just kind of happened in December. It's like reading. I'm like, okay, let's just study Judges. I haven't done that. And one of the phrases that kept coming up in Judges is this, that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why does it say it like that? Like, why doesn't it say uh, they just broke the rules? Because what it's trying to get across here is there is a relationship between us and God. There is no like separation between this relationship that there is a real God and he is a relational God. But he did it, we, we did it in front of the eyes of the Lord, right? And so that's what it talks about in scripture and that's what it talks about in this text today that there is, that if you, you watch sins, if you see it, if you know it, right, God, God, God's eyes are the only one that matters. See, God sees us, and he sees us not just like outwardly, but inwardly, and he sees us to the very depths. And so we see this psalmist writing and saying, Lord, I'm crying out from the depths, and I'm sinking down deep, but God sees him all the way down into his depths, into his heart, into his motives, into everything about him that's deep down within him, and he's starting to feel that part of it. See, not just the surface, see, like I'm guilty, but he's saying, man, God sees me to the very depths of my heart and my soul. And so what does God do with that? He offers us a lifeline. He offers us a way out, right? And so that's what we're gonna talk about in the next two uh, points because the next one is the lifeline. Look at verse four, okay? Verse four says, but with you, right? So what we're talking about, it doesn't say with like other people. He's saying with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Okay, there, there are things that people could know about us, deep down knowledge of who I am from the dairy, very depths of my soul and people would not be able to forgive us. But what we're finding is that the God of the Bible, when, when you come to him, he's saying, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, the truth is that we are all guilty. We all have blind spots, but that there's a God who loves us to the depths. He offers us a lifeline down in there. And he says, I offer you a way out. See, we will never be able to admit how guilty we are until we're able to understand and know how forgiven we are. See, we've been hiding our guilt and shame ever since the garden. You think about this, you know, think about the garden, like the, the first sin, Adam and Eve, right? What did they do? They sin, they broke relationship with God, they run to the bushes and they hide. Right? They, don't, they don't want anything to do with God. Like, okay, God, like I'm hiding out here. And then God calls out to them, pursues them, right? Offers them a lifeline. Come out, let me clothe you. But they were, they were content with hiding from God. But there's a God who pursued them and who wanted to forgive them. I've got three kids. Uh, one of them, my youngest, she's two and a half. 
One thing I have not had to teach her is how to do crazy things, right? Things that are going to get her in trouble. And also how to hide after she does those things, right? She, she's felt this for a while now. She, she'll feel that guilt and that shame. And I, I remember I, I, I go up to her and she gets caught. And I kneel down next to her and I say, honey, did you do this thing? Uh, no, daddy. No, didn't do it. What are, you, what are you talking about? No. Well, Ava, right, so cute. Little baby cheeks. Can get herself out of anything, right? Ava, like that little girl, right? I go up to her, honey, I know you did. I saw you. Saw you do it. <laughs> daddy didn't do it. You know, like, and, and the thing is, is that, what I found is when I tell her, Ava, I know you did it, but Daddy forgives you. Okay, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I did because she knows that she was forgiven for what she'd done. I love you, Daddy. You know, but that, that's, as we're reading this text, that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing a God that finds us in the depths guilty, shameful, hurting, and offers us and says, hey, before you even get there, I want you to know that you're forgiven. I want you to know that you can come out of hiding. I, don't, I want you to know that I'm not going to heap more guilt and shame on you because that's what we're afraid of, isn't it? We're afraid that if we go out and we say, this is who I am, and this is where I've been, that God's just going to say, well, I, ah, I told you you shouldn't have gone there. He's just going to heap more guilt and shame on us, but that's not what he does. He forgives us. See, God offers grace and forgiveness. That is the lifeline. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And in the end, it's only God's opinion that matters. See, for some of us, we think, well, that sounds nice, but that sounds really cliche to me. You for those of us who've grown up in the church, we, we've heard it. We've heard, well, God loves you. God forgives you. But there's no, like, power behind it, right? Like, oh, yeah, I know that. I, I, I felt that, right? Becomes trite, falls flat. And, and here's what we, we usually come back with. Here's what we usually say. We'll say, I, I know that God loves me and forgives me, but... I can't forgive myself. I just feel so unworthy. I can't forgive myself. See, in the type of forgiveness that we're looking for isn't the forgiveness that God is offering here. We're looking for something else because what we find noble, here's what we find noble. We find noble is this beating ourselves up for our shame and our guilt. Well, that's the noble thing to do. That's the right thing to do. I should just beat myself up more because I was wrong and I know that and I, I'm harder on myself than God is on me. Isn't that so noble? It's not. See, we try to look for ourselves, to ourselves for forgiveness, not God. And what God is saying is look to me for the forgiveness and when I tell you that you're forgiven, you are forgiven. 
See, the type of forgiveness that we usually look for is not real. It's about rejecting the true God so that our real God can forgive us. You know, the Bible talks about idols, different things that we put in place of God, the thing that we put before God, and it's really a gospel fracture in our lives. What I mean by that is the crack of what Christianity is not. And again, we just beat ourselves up, but what we forget is that there was one who was beaten for us, right? Jesus was beaten for us on our behalf. He was made guilty so that we could be free. Here's the question I want to ask as we're going through this. Who or what is our real God? Is it our parents? Do we go to our parents and say, well, yeah, I know God forgives me, but they definitely don't forgive me. I can't find their forgiveness, and so there's no way that I could live a forgiven life. Is it spouse? Is it our kids? Is it really, truly ourself? You see, all of those things are good to receive forgiveness from, but you can't control that. You can repent. You can talk to somebody and say, I'm very sorry for what I've done. But you can't control somebody else's response. And what we know is that there's a God in the Bible who says, you know what, there are going to be people who are, you're going to walk through this life and they won't forgive you. And they'll heap more guilt and shame on your life. But I'm not like that. I won't do that to you. There's a movie uh, that came out in 2011 called Warrior, and it was about the, really, the, the end of it, it was about these two brothers who were split apart and then fight in this MMA battle, right? And one of the brothers um, reconnects with the dad who at one time was an alcoholic and really left them in their life just high and dry and the dad was played by Nick Nolte and uh, this dad becomes a Christian shows him at the beginning of the movie singing these Christian songs but his uh, son one of the sons just will not forgive him just would not forgive him for what he'd done to him you think okay that's that makes sense. Like, and, and it got to this place where it got so bad that the dad relapses into the guilt and the shame. He relapses into saying, oh man, I could never be forgiven. Right? Many of us are relapsing into guilt and shame because we think there's no way, if, if that person can't forgive me, there's no way that God could forgive me. It takes time. It takes a lot of repentance. It takes a lot of healing. It takes a lot of, okay, God, work on my heart, my soul. When we come back, that we can continue to know this. God is a forgiving God. Um, in his book, Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, um, there are people who will come up to him and they say, I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to uh, say I'm a Christian. There's no way that I could. And here's what he says. Here's, here's his, his response. He says, they are still thinking in terms of themselves. 
seems very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough, but it's the very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough, being God, and I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you are denying God. You are denying the gospel. You are denying the very essence of the faith. You will never be happy. See, part of being, part of the lifeline is just receiving that God is the lifeline for my life. Reach out for God. Reach out for his forgiveness in the midst of your guilt and shame as you feel like you're sinking deeper and deeper. God is the one that we need. And so the third point is the way out. So we find that in verses five through seven. Okay, so look at in verse five. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Um, Now what we find here is that God is faithful, and that God keeps his word. He's not like other people. He's not going to leave you in those moments of distress. And as the writer meditates on God's word, right, God's word right here, he's realizing that he is secure. He's safe. Okay, everything around me seems like sinking sand, but when I come on God, when I come on Jesus, I am secure. His word is secure. See, many of us, we struggle because we don't meditate much on the word. We don't meditate much on what God says about us because we meditate more on what others think of us. And so again, if we're thinking more about what others are thinking of us, you better believe that we're gonna be sinking deeper and deeper into guilt and shame. Because it's not just what we do that brings guilt and shame, but it's what we don't do. I mean, isn't that true? We feel like, well, I haven't done enough, or this person's gonna feel really like they didn't get enough from me, and so I feel really guilty about that. And so that's why we must meditate on his word, because we know that in his word we are secure. Because when God looks at us, he says, no, maybe you might not feel like you're good enough, but I've made you good enough. I've made you good enough. You can stand secure in me. So meditate on what I have to say about you rather than what other people are saying about you. Do you feel secure in the fact that you're forgiven? And that today, as we have walked in here, no matter what our week looked like, if we were to show it, this past week, we would know that we are forgiven people if we are in Christ, if we've received Jesus, right? And so the way out is meditating on his word. So he gives us this lifeline. He says, I'm your lifeline. Hold on to my word. But he also says this, verse seven, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. Steadfast love. Now, Now this isn't just any type of love, right? You say, well, that person loved me and I remember even when I was a kid, one of the things I struggled with was, um, you know, do these, is my friend really still my friend uh, after 20 minutes, you know? And so I remember being in kindergarten, and I remember my first day of school and going over to my first friend, Ben, we became friends. I just went over to him. I said, hey, man, can we become friends? He says, yes. So I'm like, cool, that's my friend. And one of the things that I kept asking him throughout the day was, hey, we still friends? (laughs) Yep, cool. 
And then he's like, well, we'll be friends, but you got to be friends with this other guy, Matt. And so we became friends too. And so I would ask him all the time, like, hey, are we still friends? Seeking and, and wondering if that relationship's still there. Like nothing had happened in between then, but just felt like a question I needed to ask him. But one of the things that we know about God is that God isn't just going to love us, but his love is steadfast for us. It is secure. It's going to hold on to us. Doesn't change. See, and that's why we can come to God anytime in prayer. Because you think, man, I didn't have a very good day today. I didn't really earn my way into God's good graces today, and so I can't come to him in prayer. But what we're finding is that there's a God who loves us despite what we've been through that week or what we have done because he is a steadfast God who loves us. One of the things that me and my wife are finding is that our kids like to be around us all the time. Like, all the time, right? Like, I can't find any type of, like, separation from them because, you know, even I'll go into my room, lock the door, whatever, like, Dad, Dad, can I get in there? Please let me in. And uh, they feel very comfortable in approaching me and my wife. They want to be very close to us all the time. Why? Because they know they're loved. They know that they're loved. And so when you know you're around somebody that loves you, you can go around them and be very comfortable around them. And I want you to know that today, as we're seeking God in prayer, that there's a God who loves you like that, who says, come, hang out with me, who isn't gonna lock the door, but invites you in every time. See, it's a steadfast love. The way out is knowing that God is consistent and that he loves us. And when we believe that, we'll come to him consistently in prayer. You, you, we won't, it won't be like a chore on the list, right? Like, check it off, I prayed today. It'll be, I, I, I can't stop talking to him. I need him at every moment. See, because when it talks about, in verse four, it says that you may be feared. It's not talking about a slave type of fear, right? Like, oh no, God's gonna smite me if I don't do this thing. But it's a fear and a reverence out of love and respect that only makes you love them more. Wow, I love being around him. And so some takeaways today what it looks like to pray our guilt. The first one is this. It takes time. It takes time. Um, what we see in verse six is he says, my soul waits for the Lord. And we can ask, well, well why does it take time? It's because through patience and prayer, our character is revealed and developed. All right, as we get it out there and we say, hey, this is the depths, this is the the the, the deep, dark things that are inside of me, God, the things that I don't want to feel and I, I know aren't right, the things that I'm just getting out there to you, uh, what we find is that it, it's actually developing our character, the internal person. It's making us stronger in God, not in ourselves. And so as we're coming to him continually, it is building something within us 
as we wait. But we don't like waiting, right? I mean, we live in this like fast food culture. Just want it like this instantaneously. But that's not how prayer works. It will take time. And so we need to be reminded of that again and again. Like, hey, just keep coming back to him. And, and God, give me this type of patience. Give me a patience that says, my soul waits for the Lord. Because it's not, it's, it's not how we naturally are. Right? Like many of us, we, we come into Christianity, we say, well, I, I should be further along. I should be more like this. Fast forward 10, 20 years. By God's grace, you will be. But it's through developing that and knowing that it took time to get there. And knowing that God loves you through it. Right? He doesn't love you because you got really great amounts of patience. He loves you because he chose to love you. Uh, the second is um, it's expectant. When we pray our guilt, it is expectant knowing that he's going to come through. Here's the thing about hope in the Bible. So it talked about um, right here. He says, uh, hope throughout this verse. He says, my hope is in your word. He says, hope in the Lord in verse 7. So hope is, is through this. And, and, and we need to know this about biblical hope. Hope is expectant. It's not wishful. It's not, I really hope this is going to happen. Like we talk about in our culture, right? Like, I hope this thing is going to come through. But with God, it's not if, it's when. It is when. When's it coming? I know it's coming. I know the breakthrough is coming. God, help me to get to this place where I'm patient in that. Uh, verse 6 says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now here's the thing about Scripture. Repeating in Scripture is to emphasize its truth. Just didn't double it like, oh yeah, let me say it again and we're just gonna sing a song here. No, he is saying it twice because he is speaking it in such a way where he knows this is true. And so the illustration he's using here is he says, watchmen in the morning. Just like a watchman who's protecting a city at night knows that there's gonna be a sun rise that next morning, you can know that in your darkness, in your depths, there will be a time where the sun is gonna rise. You can know that God's gonna come through. Just like every morning, the sun's going to come out. Has there been a morning that you've seen that maybe it's cloudy outside, but you know that the sun is coming up that day? And the same is true with God. He will come through. The third uh, takeaway is it takes others. He says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Now, many of us, we want to deal with our guilt and shame alone. And, and, I, and I want you to hear this. There are going to be times where you're going to wake up that morning and you're going to feel like, man, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to ask for prayer. I don't want any of this in my life right now. I'm, I'm really hurting. I'm really in pain. Nobody's going to understand. Okay, maybe in that moment they won't. But it takes others. And God offers other people to help get us out. Right? And, and so when he's saying, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's talking about community. Guilt and shame breeds in isolation. 
Guilt and shame breathes in isolation. You want to know how it grows in your life? You want to know how you get to a really dark place? Isolation. And you're going to feel temptations to get into a place of isolation. I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. You cannot go in that place because that's where it breeds. Right, so take it to prayer. That's why we have a prayer team here. We have a prayer line. You can text at any time. City groups, we are praying. Jump in to a city group as we can pray together. Get someone's number after this service. Pray. Pray not just by yourself, but in community. That's why he says, oh, Israel, it takes a community, right? God has given us a family in Christ. And the fourth is it changes you. Right? He said, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. God brings a humility in our lives that we didn't have before. I want to be humble. It starts with the fear of the Lord. It starts with going before him and saying, God, everything that I have from you is a gift. That I'm breathing today is a gift. Life that you gave me. We're in awe and in reverence of, of God and his power. And like I said earlier, this is a type of fear that drives us to him, not away from him. Because we find that this fear is of a reverence that this God loves us. So today, what, what is the gospel? What is the good news from this text? What is the thing that gets us out of guilt and shame that just says more than just be vulnerable in a vulnerable world? It's in verse 3. It was the question that he said when he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? Who could stand? Could any of you and me stand? No. But there was one. His name was Jesus. He stood on trial for us. He stood in judgment for us. He took on our guilt and our shame. He says, I'll take it on myself. I'll take all the punishment. You can beat me up so you don't have to beat yourself up. Verse 8 says, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Who's going to be the one that's going to ransom us? Who's going to be the one that pulls us out of the depths? Jesus. It's him. A man named John Bunyan in the 1650s was a preacher, and he was walking through a field one day, and he just felt overwhelming amounts of guilt and shame while he was praying. See, he had struggled with his whole life. Even when he became a Christian, he struggled with guilt and shame. And as he was walking through this field, one day he wrote in his prayer journal, here's what he said. He says, as I was walking through this field, something happened. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. I lived for some time very sweetly at peace with God through Christ. Oh Christ, Christ, 
There was nothing but Christ that was before my eyes. What melted away his guilt and his shame? He had a vision of Jesus. He had a vision of what Jesus had done for him. He had a vision of Jesus seated on the throne and saying, son, I've paid all yours, your guilt and your shame. I've paid all your debts. And in that, he was free. See, our forgiveness is not an abstract idea. It's a person. And here's what it says in Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. You want to be free from your guilt? You want to be free from your shame? Come to the one who took it on the cross in your place, in my place, and paid for it all. That's where we find freedom. And when we pray, we see him. Oh, Christ. 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 There was nothing but Christ that was before my eyes. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we see Christ and what he has done for us and that all of our guilt and all of our shame will melt away at what he's done for us. Today, the good news of the gospel is that you paid it all. It's not just to be vulnerable and say we've got guilt in our life because the truth is we all do. It's to say who's the one that's gonna pay for it? Am I gonna pay for it? Am I gonna beat myself up over this? Or am I gonna look to the one who was beaten up in my place for my sins, for my guilt, for my shame? Jesus has done that for us. And so help us, like our brother who's gone before us, John Bunyan, to see Christ. Help us to have that moment if we're, feeling like we're in the depths right now. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.